This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. It's so good to see you all this morning. And, you know, I mean that in so many ways. Uh, it's been a long time since I've, I've been up here. And there's been a lot that's been happening in my life over the last few weeks. Uh, and I just appreciate so much, again, the prayers that many of you have lifted. If um, you're wondering, what's this guy talking about? Um, maybe first I should just say, introduce myself. My name is Dan. I'm an associate pastor here. And for about the last, um, it was about five weeks ago. Actually, it was five weeks ago today that I was in the intensive care unit over at Sky Ridge Hospital, lying flat on my back, um, and I was beginning to break through the woods, which was kind of exciting at that point. Um, I'd had this um, eight-day journey through the ICU in which um, all kinds of things... Oh, I see. I just have to get this so the picture shows. There we go. Oops. Excuse me. Um, had this eight-day journey at the ICU... And uh, while I was there, yeah, I, I wasn't aware of this, but I guess I came pretty close to, uh, to leaving this, this world. Um, my wife, Carrie, was aware of that, and uh, she had to go through all that trauma, and she did a very good job of pretty much keeping that from me. But after I became aware of what had been taking place, there were some questions that I had to kind of grapple with. Um, I was talking with one of you this past week, and we were saying, you know when you have a brush with your mortality like that, it makes you begin to ask some questions about your life. And I know that um, it's about time I began asking some questions about my life. And I think that's kind of the way it is with all of us. I, I hope you don't have to have a brush with mortality. But I've, I've got to admit, I don't think I ever would ask those questions. And um, yeah, I've never had an experience like I had five weeks ago. Um, I, I want to look at a passage of scripture. In fact, we're going to continue on in Acts, Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, open up to that. But really, in this passage, this is like a brush with mortality. Uh, we're going to look at an experience that happened uh, to the apostles. And hopefully through that, we can gain some, some principles for our own life. Uh, as we grapple with just this whole thing called life. Um, this is an amazing story in Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. And I will just have to tell you, um, I don't know. I, it's not that I missed this story, but it certainly was flying under my radar. Um, let's read the first couple of verses, and we'll just get a, a little clue of what's going on. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles... And put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. Okay, those are some amazing verses. Uh, that's an amazing story. And um, I've got to admit, I remember Peter and John being in prison. And that was in Acts chapter 3. We just kind of looked at that a couple weeks ago. I certainly remember Peter, you know, when Peter was imprisoned after James was, was killed and how the angel let him out. I mean, that's like the big prison break. Um, and, and you remember Paul and Silas and how they were let out of prison. That was amazing. For some reason, like I said, this one f flew under my radar. I never realized that all 12 of the apostles were put in prison, arrested at one time. 
And, and remember now, Matthias is the 12th apostle that has taken Judas's place. Um, yeah. So here are the apostles. Who knows how they were arrested? Uh, you know, I almost kind of picture maybe they were in the temple courts together and they were all arrested as one. But, you know, it might have been where they went to each, each of their homes and kind of rounded them up and brought them back and threw them in jail. Whatever, I think you, you probably have kind of an interesting, you know, traumatized group of guys in this public jail. And, and Peter and John were there just recently, so they could probably help the other 10 kind of catch on to this jail. Um, but here they are in jail. They're awaiting trial the next day. They know that the, the, the authorities are pretty ticked at them. And then an angel comes at night. An angel comes in the dark pitch night, and I don't know if he comes, shakes them all, wakes them up. And somehow they get out of this jail... I don't know if he opens the doors or if they walk through the doors. I'm not sure. You know, Luke doesn't tell us one blessed thing about it. And, and I'm reading this going, wow, an angel of the Lord. Oh, it says, I missed that. He opened the gates of the jail. <laughs> anyway, maybe this angel had a key. Uh, he opened the gates of the jail. He brings them out. He gets them out there. And then he gives them a message that go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And the next day they do that. And I'm sitting there as I'm preparing for this message and I'm just kind of fixated. How did the angel do that? How did, how did they get past the guards at the, at the gate? How, how did all this happen? And how far away did he go before he gave them the message of what they were supposed to do? I'm asking question after question. And I'm realizing, man, if there was a Hollywood producer, he could make a feature length movie out of just those two verses. And then it kind of struck me. Okay, it's two verses. For some reason, Luke doesn't seem to want us to focus on that. Like I'm focusing on it. Like we oftentimes seem to focus on our experiences. For some reason, Luke just states it. Here's the facts, ma'am. And then he goes on into other things. And it's almost like... Yeah, he, it's almost like this, this statement. Go to the temple and give the people the message of life. It's almost like that's Luke's point in this passage. Me, I'd be looking at the angel all the time. I'd be trying to, I'd have so many descriptive phrases about that. There'd be six more verses at least. Luke, he just goes right to the point. Go to the temple and give the people the message of life. Uh, some other translations say speak to the people all the words of this life or or tell the people all about this new life that you're you're part of go to the temple and give the people this life the principle our experiences help us uniquely communicate the message but they do not take the place of the message and sometimes i think we kind of have that reversed. Sometimes I think we're so fixated on our experiences and, and what God did when, and we fail to tell people about the God who did it. We fail to tell people about the life that God has for them, that we are experiencing right now. Um, you know, I, I look back at my experience in the ICU. Okay, 
I, uh, that was quite an eight-day period in my life. Um, when I began to come to grips with what was taking place there, I, I was, I was kind of out of it most of the time. But toward the end, I was starting to come to grips with what was taking place and, and, and how serious this was and how sick I really was. Um, you guys were tremendous. You know, I, I knew you were praying. I heard from so many people the prayers that were going up. I received cards. I received verses. I received encouragements. Uh, Carrie would get phone messages, and she'd come into the room and start playing them on her phone. Thank you so much. Um, in the middle of, um, of all those letters, um, after I'd come back here to the church, there was a prayer letter that we got from the Schlafers. Dale and Liz were our former pastor and his wife. And we support them in, in our global outreach team. Um, and this is what their letter looks like. It's single-spaced and it's just full of print. And, uh, you know, I, I usually get through it. Well, I read it here at the office. And, and then I went home and I got the same letter in the mail. And I, my tendency usually has been, okay, I've already read it. So. Um, but this time I thought, oh, I better open it. So I opened it, and sure enough, here was a note um, from Liz, praying that you are feeling stronger every day. Your assignment here is not completed yet. I, Liz, believe that this is a time for you to hear the, the Lord speaking to you for the next season. You know, when you get a letter like that, it kind of stops you in your tracks. But, but it hits me to realize... What I went through there in the ICU gives me a unique way of being able to communicate that God is amazing, that he is loving. Um, The apostles were to go out into the temple courts and take this, this message of life and give it to the people there in the temple. Um, What was this message of life? Well, you know, you noticed in a lot of the songs we sang today, they were about the name of Jesus. They were focused in upon Jesus. And that's what I think the message of life is. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, Back in chapter 3 of Acts, uh, Peter was speaking to a whole group of people and he he referred to Jesus as being the author of life. Uh, You know, when you just think of that, he's the one who's writing the plot of your life. Um, John was standing in that group of 12 apostles who, who were now out there in the temple courts. And John later on would write some things in his gospel. He said how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the nourishment, the sustainer of life. Not only do I write the plot, I sustain life. Uh, later on, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life. Jesus is life. And Jesus himself said in John's gospel in chapter 10, I give them eternal life. And I believe this is the message that the apostles were sent back into the temple uh, after they'd been arrested, broken out of jail. Man, if anything, you'd think they'd want to be a little bit undercover for a few days. But the angel says, go back and give them this life. Okay, that's what's going on with the apostles during that, how many hours? 12-hour period? It wasn't all that long. Let's go back to um, the other side of the coin. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees. In other words, that means the high priest and his inner circle, uh, who were Sadducees. Now, some of you may wonder, Sadducees, what's that? There were, 
you know, as I understand it, there were two basic parties um, in the Jewish hierarchy, Sadducees and Pharisees. This is the problem when you're married to a second grade teacher. Um, <clears throat> Pharisees were the people that always went around and said, you know, everything has to be fair. Uh, and that's why they were so much into legalism. So it had to be fair, you see. Um, Sadducees, they were kind of on the liberal side. They did not believe in the supernatural. Uh, they would certainly not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would have a very hard time believing that an angel had let the apostles out. They did not believe in the supernatural. Anybody who doesn't believe in the supernatural is pretty sad, you see. So <laughs> these, these Sadducees and this high priest, they were jealous. They were jealous of the apostles. So let's keep going. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. And I just think, how unjust. They're jealous. So they go and arrest 12 guys. They, they, they take them out of their lives and they put them in the public jail. Who knows what they want to do? Just because they're jealous, it's a power trip. And they're upset because the apostles seem to be making inroads into their popularity polls. Okay. We skip over those next verses that we already looked at where the apostles were freed, and we come to the next morning. The next morning, when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. And then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jury for trial. I love that. What a setup. Isn't that great? Um, you know, here they are sitting there. They're indignant. They're upset. And you know what? I guess if we were to look at it, they have some reason to be upset. If we go back to the verses that are before this passage, um, you'll see in, in verse 14, more and more people were believing and, and they were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women were following the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were seeing this happening all over Jerusalem. Uh, it even says that some of the people would bring their sick their sick friends and their sick family, if they could get along the side of the road when the apostles were walking by, they hoped that the, the shadow would fall upon them so, so that miracles and wonders would be performed and they could be healed. Amazing things were happening. Yes, they were upset. Well, back at the jail. When the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. You know, how many hours has it been? Um, that would show you that these men were not going to receive breakfast. They were just thrown into this hole. The door was locked. The guards were standing outside and they were not going to do anything with them. So the temple guards come. The men are gone. So they, they returned to the council and they reported the jail was securely locked. The guards were standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. Again, I, I think that is so good. How I miss this story. I... I don't know. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where is this all going to end? Um, what a great statement. Where is this all going to end? Or what direction is this going to go in? And I can just kind of imagine them as, as they receive this word that the jail is empty, they're probably saying, what kind of conspiracy is going on? I mean, we know that people are following after this way, but who would go in there and break these people? Who would have the audacity to go against our authority and break out these 12 men? What's going to happen next? As they're wondering that, someone arrives with startling news. I love that. Startling. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, and they are teaching the people. 
The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. And then they brought the apostles before the high council. There's just a few things before we go on to the next verse. Um, the temple guard goes to arrest them. And I love that. They didn't want to have a violent encounter because they didn't want to be stoned by the public. So even they were realizing, even though they had the weapons, that uh, they were doing something rather unpopular in the temple courts by, by arresting these apostles. But the thing that really jumps out at me is how Luke inserts that little thing. They did it, but without violence. Kind of makes me wonder what they did when they arrested them the first time. Um, I was just kind of curious about that. And so I couldn't find anything about the, the temple guards. But this was during the time of the Roman guards as well. Uh, the Jewish nation was under Roman occupation. And so I started looking up some things about Roman arrests. Um, they would be unmerciful. Because as they would go to make an arrest, they wanted to intimidate everybody around them from doing the same thing they were arresting this person for. I wonder if these apostles were already beaten and bruised from the first arrest. And now they've obeyed the angel. They have gone back to the temple courts. And all of a sudden, here comes the guards and they're rearrested. And they're being marched back to the council for trial. I can't help but wonder what might their minds be going through. God, what are you doing? Um, when they get back there, the high priest confronts them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? He demanded. Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with all the teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Um, now, we just see that's what the high priest said. You know, it says he demanded. I think he yelled that. I, I have a feeling when they walked into that council of um, all, all these elders sitting around them, uh, this was the Sanhedrin and uh, the leading priests. I think it was probably a chaotic situation as they walked back into that group and that group would be angry and indignant at these apostles. I think it would be kind of an intimidating situation if the apostles didn't remember that it was an angel that just 12 hours before had freed them from the jail that brings me to another thing our experiences when they are seen through God's sovereignty and God's care they result in a more purposeful life um, I really I used a whole bunch of different words for purposeful first I had in a more confident life then I changed it to, in a more courageous life. And, you know, I have to admit, even though I may recognize God's sovereignty and recognize God's care, I'm still kind of wimpy. And I'm not that it's always brought courage. But I think it results in a more purposeful life to know that, that God is there regardless of what we are experiencing at the time. Um, as I bring that out, I realize... There's, there's tons of different experiences here in this room. Some of you are, are going through, yeah, marriages that are broken. And that's a, that's a hard experience to endure. Some of you have children that just aren't turning out the way you had hoped. Some of you are struggling with depression. Some of you are dealing with, with pain 
It just doesn't seem to end. Some of you are in jobs that just the stress is too much. We all have various experiences and, and you know, some of those experiences are very hard. When I was in the ICU, you know, and again, I think it was probably a time when it was really harder for Carrie, more traumatic for Carrie than it was for me because I was out of it most of the time. But when Friday came around, I was no longer out of it. And I had just had a procedure that was very important. And for 72 hours, I was supposed to remain relatively stable. Couldn't move that much. Um, and, and they came in, and I remember it was my nice little nurse, uh, Jessica, who we had a great relationship, by the way. But she came in, she had to put a tube down up my nose. Up my nose, down the back of my throat, down into my stomach. And then it would pump out some of the blood that was there. And that stayed in me for about 30 hours. So that Friday night, I was not a comfortable puppy. And I, I could not get to sleep. And some of the reality of what was happening was, was hitting me. And I was supposed to lie flat on my back. And, you know, I'm looking over there and the little, little remote with the light switch was just out of my reach. Um, you know, so I was just kind of stuck. And as I was lying there, the thing that came to my mind was Psalm 23. And so I just started saying, oh, Lord, you're my shepherd. You are my shepherd. And, and all my needs are going to be taken care of. I'm not going to want. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and, and you take me and you walk me to green pastures and you have me lie down there. You relax me. You, you take me over to still waters and you refresh my soul you restore my soul thank you thank you 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 lead me in righteous paths in the right ways even when i'm not sure what direction to put my foot you do that for your namesake thank you god thank you even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death and all of a sudden i kind of stopped and i said wow Psalm 23 began to take on a whole new meaning for me as I began to recite that and just say those words. And I had to realize, as I was lying there, I was grabbing onto God's sovereignty. I was grabbing onto God's love. And it was a sovereignty and his love together that were sustaining me through this. Um, a number of years ago, there was a book that came out by Rabbi Kushner, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And many of you will remember this book. And basically, here was this Jewish rabbi. And, you know, bless his heart, he, he went through a horrible experience where he and his wife had to watch their 14-year-old son die of a very debilitating disease. And after that, he asked so many questions of God. He said, I've always believed that you're all-powerful, you are sovereign. I've always believed that you are loving and you are caring. But I see what happened to my son, and now I'm having problems dealing with the tension between those two. Why didn't you, if you're loving and caring, which I believe you are, why couldn't you have stepped in and changed that situation? And his conclusion was, God is loving, but he's not powerful enough to really change the situation. I'm not as articulate, and I'm not as intelligent as him, but I totally disagree. And I totally grab on to that holding on to God's sovereignty, holding on to God's care and love. And that's the way I could begin to understand this 
this ICU experience. And I hope that's the way you can begin to understand the depression you may be going through, or you can begin to understand the, the brokenness in your family. God never says you won't walk through those things, but I will be there with you. And somehow, Romans eight twenty eight. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In no way do I want to cheapen the struggle that you're in. And God doesn't want to either. And I think sometimes in our easy answer society, we take that word good and we just say, yeah, God's going to make it good. You know, I, I don't believe that. God will ultimately work these things together for the best for you. And the best for you may be to walk through that depression. The best for you may be to walk through that painful situation you're in. But to draw you closer to him, to know his strength and his purposefulness. Uh, We could go on with that, but let's go back. Let's go back to this trial that's on and, and see again. The high priest says, didn't we tell you never again teach in this man's name? Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. And I just sense there's chaos in the room and everybody's yelling at these apostles. How intimidating that would be. I'm trying to think, boy, God, that must have been a hard situation. You know, sometimes it's great when you can read some of these commentators and, and just get their input. There's, a, there's an old pastor, actually, very old. Uh, he used to work in London. He was, he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. No, no, he was the pa- pastor of the Westminster Chapel over in uh, London. His name was G. Campbell Morgan back in the early 1900s. My dad loved his teaching. He had almost all of his books. And you know what's neat? When dad died... I inherited most of those books. So I get to read them. But he said this about that verse. This was a most remarkable testimony to the growth of Christianity in Jerusalem at that time. It shows how profound an effect was being produced upon the city. The testimony, the teaching of the apostles was turning public opinion. I read that verse and I'm saying, wow, that's pretty intimidating. G. Campbell Morgan reads that verse and says, look at God. He's just working through the opposition, broadcasting his victory. You filled all Jerusalem with a teaching about this man. And now you want to make us responsible for his death. One of the translations has, and now you want to put this man's blood upon us. You know, when I, when I read that version, it kind of clicked in my mind. His blood be upon us. And I went back to Matthew 27. A few months before this trial. Uh, the leading priests and the elders, who some of them are in this actual trial room. The leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. And Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water. He washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, We'll take responsibility for his death. We and our children. And the leading elders leading priests and the elders were there too who are now in this room. Um, And you may remember the statement in other translations where it says, his blood be upon us and on our children. Well, when things kind of die down in in that room, 
Peter and the apostles replied. And, and that was interesting for me. I always thought it was just Peter that would speak up. But it was Peter and the other 11 that all replied. And I kind of picture them standing in the midst of all these elders and all these leading priests. And they probably each have about five that they're focused on apiece. Just looking at them and they say, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. That takes some spitzpah. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We're witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who's given by God to those who obey him. Um, couple things, you know, Peter and, and the apostles, they emphasize the God of our ancestors, the God of your ancestors, you elders, the ones that you worship, the one that you worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he raised Jesus from the dead. And the reason he raised him from the dead is because you killed him. Um, the same God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Put Jesus up there in this place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. That word prince means Messiah. As Messiah and savior. And this very same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you worship, sent his spirit to be a witness of these things along with us. We've witnessed it too. That's why we're speaking to you today. Now as I put those things down, I don't want you to miss what's probably the most crucial thing in the, whole, in the whole message. The reason God did this is because he wanted the people of Israel to repent of their sins and to be forgiven. You are the leaders of Israel. God's offer of forgiveness is given to you. And here they are. They're, they're angry. They're surrounding these apostles. It's probably a chaotic time, but these apostles are saying, forgiveness is offered to you. God loves you. God went to the extreme. Even though you killed his son, he offers salvation to you, this new life for each and every one of you. The response, when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. I don't remember that in this story. And I just imagine these 12 as they have just spoken the words of life and now there's a sentence of death on their heads. Before we leave that, I just want to say the message of new life is offered to each and every one of us. It's offered to all. It's offered to those who hate Christianity, who hate Christians. It's offered to everybody. God loves and he wants everyone to come to grips with what this new life is and how it's offered. in a little bit of time, we're going to come to this, these communion tables. And we're going to come and we're going to remember Jesus and his sacrifice. And we're going to remember this new agreement that offers us new life. And I know that many of us here, the vast majority of us here, have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ. We believe he is the only way. We believe that he is the truth. But there may be some of us here that, that haven't quite reached that point. And I understand that. You know, when you, read, when you look at a story like this, good grief, it's a little far-fetched to think of angels coming and letting people out of jails. And that's a good thing to wrestle with, and I encourage you to wrestle. But I want to share with you just the third, uh, yeah, the, the third chapter of this story. Because I think there's two things in there, two things in there, that uh, give me some substance to know that what I believe in is real. 
And it comes from one of the elders who was sitting there. His name is Gamaliel. He was an older elder, kind of fits. Um, he was an older elder who was highly respected. And he, he got the attention of his brothers and got the, got the noise down. And he finally said, um, send the apostles out. I want to say something. And this is what he said to his colleagues. Men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fella, Feudus, who pretended to be someone great. And about 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. And after him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, well, it will soon be overthrown. But if it's something from God, you won't be able to overthrow it. You may even find yourselves fighting God. And all of them accepted his advice. And you can read the rest of the chapter. Um, they call the apostles in, they beat them up, flogged them, and sent them on their way. And the apostles rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer. But there's two things in there. This picture of the apostles, these 12, as they're going away worthy, just rejoicing in God. You know, one of the things that substantiates Christianity for me is the lives of those 12 men and the lives of so many other followers of Jesus Christ down through history who have suffered, who have faced persecution. 11 of these 12 died horrible deaths of martyrdom. And not one of those 12 reneged on their commitment to Jesus Christ. Not one of them renounced their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. They continued to witness for him throughout the extent of their lives. No one faces the death they faced for a lie. The second thing that substantiates Christianity for me is Gamaliel's advice. Don't look up here. Look around you. Look around. Just look over to the side behind. You see everybody, there's a lot more than 12 people here. We're about 2,000 years after Gamaliel gave his advice. In that 2,000 years, there's been billions of followers of Jesus Christ, which shows me it's the work of God. And even though mankind has tried to stamp it out, they've never succeeded. It continues to grow to this day. Isn't it exciting to think, we've got the Snyders here, we've got the Bjorklands here, uh, we've got others here who have gone to other countries to be able to spread that message of life. God calls each one of us to be bearers of life, to give life to the people around us, to live life for the people around us. I want to invite you to come to the table of Jesus Christ. And at this table... Yes, we remember his death. We remember his crucifixion. We come into the agony of that as we take the bread and say this is his body. But also, we take the cup, which says this is his new promise to us as a result of that death and that resurrection, that we can have life and we can have it new and we can have it fully, even as we wrestle with things in our life like pain, like suffering, like disappointment. 
I ask you to come to the table, not because you've got it all together, but because you're desperate for God. And you're desperate to know that he loves you regardless. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you that you are loving. I thank you that those wed together there on the cross as, as the way of sin is defeated and new life is ushered in. And Lord, all you ask us to do is to, to submit to you, to love you, to believe in you, to repent, to turn to you. Father, as we come to this table, I ask your spirit to remind us of your agony. And I ask your spirit to remind us of your amazing, unfathomable love. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.